Welcome to Talking Tourism, the podcast series created specifically for tourism operators. Talking Tourism, the expert series, is the ultimate resource for business owners who want to lift their skills to the next level. If you want to learn how to be a better tourism operator, listen on. And welcome to Talking Tourism. My name is Rachel Williams, your host for this episode in the podcast series for Tasmania's tourism sector. It is proudly brought to you by the Tourism Industry Council Tasmania, which is, of course, the authority and advocate about all things for Tasmanian tourism operators. I'm here today with Anna and Henry Terry from Tasmanian Truffles. Welcome, guys. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us, Rachel. Our pleasure. Now, of course, you both shot to fame on My Kitchen Rules as um, entrants in that cooking competition all those years ago. Your <laughs> lives have changed so much since then. Yeah, in some ways it has, hasn't it? Yeah, I, definitely. I think um, in terms of our, our our product and truffles, it was a great sort of way to showcase what truffles are and how easily they can be used, you know, in the home by just everyday people. They don't have to be in a lead ingredient. So to see us using them in in mashed potato, I think was a very sort of relatable thing and really helped the industry for us and, and other growers in Australia as well. We didn't, uh, just a disclaimer on that, we didn't intend it at the time. We had no idea what we were doing. But <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. Sometimes the greatest things happen when you don't have any expectations. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. But I tell you what, talking about expectations, back in 1994, your parents had a bit of a vision that the truffle industry could do something in Australia. And they, of course, became the first business to grow truffles in Australia. Back in 1994, they planted their first trees. What a journey they've had since then. Yeah, massive. Um, yeah, so uh, my dad in particular, he's, he's a bit tapped and comes up with all sorts of funny ideas. And uh, yeah, I think they thought uh, the French black truffle is, is the one that they grew. And they everyone considered that impossible to grow outside of France, and and Dad sort of thought, well, if you flip the world around, it's on a similar latitude. Tasmania's on a similar latitude, so why can't we grow them here? And it went from there. So it turned out to be wildly inaccurate that we we have the same sort of climate as France, but uh, it still worked. <laughs> He's still running with it. <laughs> so of course, your dad, Tim, and Mum Adele, they did. It was a financial um, risk that they would have taken to inoculate all of those trees back then, and and hope that I think it was ended up being five years later they actually picked their first truffle. Yeah, yeah, really big risk. And I think, yeah, as much as it was sort of dad's dad's idea, a lot of credit needs to go to mum as well for sort of riding that wave with dad and supporting dad through that because a lot of, uh, yeah, a lot of the research out there and a lot of the critics were very doubtful that it was even possible and sort of, you know, what a what a silly idea. Um, so, yeah, both of them to sort of ride that out together and to have that success in 1999 was a really, really special time. And, and Henry remembers that. I was a little bit bit too young. I wasn't quite switched on enough to pull a sickie, but but you did. Yeah, I faked um, sickies before <laughs> before the truffle dogs would come every, like they, they come once a week back in the day. And, um, yeah, it was like every Wednesday I'd just get this nasty stomach ache yeah. at about 7am before the, and as soon as the bus had gone past because of what was going to happen that day with all the people and dogs and stuff, mum and dad were swamped with, with stuff going on. So I knew I could make a miraculous recovery at about 10 past seven after the bus, after had, the gone bus past. had gone past. So I was there for when we harvested the first one. But Can you yeah. remember it? Because they are described as 
black gold? Mm. Was it like they'd struck gold? Yeah, it was. It was. Um, it's funny. Like yeah, every time I've told this story quite a few times uh, over the years. Like, um, and and has it grown and become more elaborate? Like it's the uh, completely. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. Just, just exaggerated. No, it's it's one of those things. I didn't know it was that big a deal at the time. You know, and to probably an outsider looking in, it's like oh, it's just a truffle. But um, it still gives me sort of like goosebumps every time I talk about it because I remember it so clearly. I was like. Um, following a dog along and there was another dog working a few rows over and you just started hearing these excited shouts and um, and then we all just like everyone, there's like six or eight people in the truffery at the time, everyone just converged on this one spot and there was just like this, it was as if like was a team had just won the World Cup or something, you know, it was madness. So um, it was pretty cool to, to be able to still remember that because I was a really little tacker at the time. What did you do with that truffle? That's a good question. I know Dad got a um, a bronze sort of cast? M- cast made of it, and we've still got. We we're looking at that the other day because we, we're going to have. We've got a. We're building a shop at the moment. We're going to have that sort of front and center in the shop for people to see. But um, so it's like Australia's first truffle. Dad absolutely he loves it doesn't he yeah. he's like oh you've got to have this there like um i'm like i'm not sure if people are going to care that much but um we should um uh, expand it and make like tasmania's giant truffle uh, like, you know the big potato the big prawn, he's done the big that. banana he's we need done, a big truffle he's we've, totally done that we've too. got a, a giant rock painted black yeah um, da- <laughs> i'm not sure i'm not sure how i feel about it rachel it's this huge big rock and it it doesn't quite look like a truffle but i think it sort of half does but dad's very uh tim's he, running with he it. Loves Loves it. He yeah. absolutely loves it. Yeah. How funny. So, what's the scale of your farm at the moment? Uh, well, we're actually quite a small operation now. So, when our parents were uh, doing it, we we had um, two different farms, and uh, there was a lot of trees. I think there must have been upwards of thirty thousand trees. Um, and basically, now we're down to about five thousand trees, but really, really productive. And it sort of lets us do things at the quality we want to do it. Keep it small, so it's Anna and I, and there's only a couple of others in the business. Um, so it's a really small business, but we like to keep it, um, you know, at a certain quality, and and that works for us. So. So you're at the foothills of the great Western Tears, aren't you? So amazing water flow and beautiful climate. Yeah. What was the catalyst for reducing the trees? Was it just too much to deal with that many or was that a business decision that you two made now that you've come on board and, and making more an impact on that? So I guess um, earlier when when we first started growing truffles, the only way that we could sell our truffles was internationally. So we just had an international export market and that was our only outlet, I guess. And as time's gone on and they've become, you know, more of an item in Australia and people want them here, where we sort of have gone through this stage where we were completely international market, a little bit in Australia. Now we're completely you know, only sell within Australia and then even more, even domestically now, isn't it really? We're fairly much a lot in Tasmania as well. Um, So just through that growth, I guess, of people getting that product awareness, um, we've been able to sort of rein that in. And truffles only have a shelf life about two weeks. So international export, with that came a lot of stresses in terms of managing kilos of fresh truffles on the tarmac in Dubai or wherever they were. Um, And that was something I did for quite a few years. And then I guess it was sort of like, well, the opportunities there now to sort of step back from that chaos and really sort of focus on growing a bit more of a niche market yeah here so and that's what we've done and we're yeah it and works obviously for us. the theory at the time was to capitalize on the northern hemisphere market when they didn't have any of their own mm. truffles 
So the, the concept yeah. was great. Oh. You're well researched. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Got, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know what to say. No, no. <laughs> but it's bang on. And it didn't it didn't work so well in the beginning because, um, you know, people eat seasonally, especially over in France, you know, um, seasonal eating's like really, really important. So when we provided truffles that are like their pride and joy truffles over there, so there's this foreign place producing their truffles. So there's a, that's a bit of a... What's the word? It's almost a bit of a barrier in the first place. And then you're providing them at the opposite time of year to, to when they actually normally have them. So, you know, it was actually, funnily enough, one of the markets we expected or mum and dad expected to work didn't. Yeah, but um, obviously demand for truffles was was huge and there wasn't a problem finding other markets overseas. But, yeah, interesting. Yeah, so obviously if you're planning on building a shop, which I want to hear more about as well, what is the scale of growth of truffles in Tasmania? Because there are some other businesses that do it as well. Is there any rough idea of how much is being produced annually? <laughs> That's the hardest thing no, to come I up I know with. that you don't like to tell Everyone's anyone very how secretive. much you are getting paid per, <laughs> per um, kilo because it's a top secret. It is. Yeah, and everyone's a, very secretive, aren't they? Yeah, yeah and so. it's also something that's very variable as well. People often go, oh, how many how many truffles does that tree produce? And um, we don't know. It changes from year to year. Um, it changes from week to week. We can never really put, you know, we can't predict what's going on underground. We can't see under there. So and It's such a sensitive crop. So from one year to another, it can be really, really good and it can be, and like lots of farming, you can have really good years and you can have really, really bad years. So uh, so variable and um, it is growing, like more, more people are producing more truffles now. So um, that's really good. I think Australia as a whole is now the fourth biggest producer of black truffles in the world. So um, a major player, I suppose. And so your truffles are now being sold predominantly through um, your own products that you're incorporating them into. Tell yeah. us about how you got into that. Oh, well, uh, I suppose. Lots of wacky experiments, <laughs> I think. You both that? love cooking and obviously yeah. that's where you two have shot to fame initially with that MKR appearance um but you've obviously had that in the background as well well we fell into it a bit um it was sort of uh, you know growing up on a truffle farm i would guess where it's it's not a brag but we're the only second generation farmers in australia so we grew up with truffles and we were sort of that's um an extremely sort of privileged position to be in because i mean i remember anna when she was a little girl having absolutely yeah, no comprehension for the value of these things. And so <laughs> she'd find... Having truffled eggs, scrambled yeah, eggs for breakfast. Bang on. Yep. <laughs> so there'd be a big 50-gram truffle in the fridge and she'd use, use the whole thing on a toast and some eggs in the morning. And so it's sort of having that sort of introduction to truffles and knowing the flavour, like all your life just being exposed to them all the time. So um, we had these, without even knowing it, like before we started making these products, we had all this knowledge on what tastes good and, and and how to use them when not many other people, in Australia anyway, not many other people at the time knew what they were and if they did know what they were, they didn't know how to use them. So I guess it was lucky from that and, and we had a lot of help from mum and dad and the contacts that uh, they had to sort of get us started making our products and uh, we went to the Salamanca markets, oh, geez, must have been seven years, six, seven years ago now and it's just, it's taken us on a ride since. So that was your first foray into the world of um, 
capitalising on the tourist market. <laughs> yeah, I guess so, yeah, And it absolutely. was a real, um, a real experiment as well. We were sort of very much, how's this going to go? Are people going to want to buy this? Is this going to be? It was just a bit of fun. Yeah, it was, It was. we really didn't um, set out for it to be something that was going to be as much of a. It was an experience. Yeah. We wanted just to see if we could do something. And, yeah. And um, yeah, lucky to have a lot of help to get started and it went went well and yeah. So all your condiments, your oils and all of those things that, Truffles are renowned for going well with you. you. Produce all of those locally. Yes. Yep. All locally. So we actually make them ourselves. Um, yeah. So to start with, we were destroying Mum's kitchen uh, <laughs> for about two years there before we needed to. Um, around the same time as MKR happened for us, we had to find a, a, a factory. Um, so we now have a, a sort of custom place in in Deloraine, mini sort of factory where we create all our products and keep yeah. mum sanity going don't we yeah like yeah we overtook the whole house it was like <laughs> it was crazy there's boxes and shelves and stuff in all the spare rooms and and uh, I think yeah mum and mum had definitely had enough I we'd all had enough had, though they'd one, all had enough one night mum came in to cook dinner and there was like a hundred bottles of truffle oil on the on the kitchen table ready to be labeled and mum was just like no. So there's obviously become a real interest in people knowing where their products are from and the yeah. stories of the people that produce it. And, and I think the new generation of business owners are so good at telling their stories and, yeah. they're, and they're authentic. How have you gone about creating this agri-tourism business that you now are operating um, yourselves? Like you've just done it on a whim, really, your own just followed your nose like the truffle dogs. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think um, it was probably about six years ago um, we had interest from Taz TAFE with some chefing students that wanted to come out and have a look and um, they came out and I remember showing them around and um, it wasn't until that I started getting the feedback from these these people at the end of, end of that that I realised that, oh, maybe this is something that people would really want to see and be a part of and I think from there we just sort of started crawling and we've been doing that for for five years now really um and now we're you know we can justify that we're we're ready to walk and we're ready to have a have a proper go at this and um you know open open the farm gates and get and get people in there and um having a scratch round in the dirt and it's um yeah it's pretty amazing the feedback that we get and the interest from people in just sort of seeing where their their produce comes from and being able to have that hands-on experience and I know it's something I do and it, I feel very proud to do it that I get to sort of share digging for treasure which I've been doing with my dad since I was three that I get to share that with people um and my dogs as well and and take people through that journey and it's it's um I think it's as well when you have that that passion behind it and it's something that we've just you know been very fortunate enough to grow up with that really comes across in in part of that story and it's um it's very special to be able to do it I think yeah it's great to be able to share it and I think you know further to what you're saying is like especially over the last few years, um, people wanting to connect with the farmer and the story behind it and all that, it's, um, you know, it's astonishing. Like in the five, I, mean, we're, I don't pretend to be experienced at all, but in the five or six years that I've sort of been at the markets and taking truffle tours with Anna and, and all that sort of thing, it's amazing people's attitudes now, um, you know, wanting to get their hands dirty, wanting to get hands on. It's, um, I think Tassie's perfectly positioned for, uh, you know, capturing that, and I think there's this huge, like, huge surge towards people wanting to connect with nature again and connect with people again. And and um, it seems so simple, just open your doors, let people come in. But I'm assuming there's a lot at the back end that needs to happen before you can become an agri-tourism business operator. 
yeah. Yeah, there's a lot. Um, I guess uh, a bit of a where our family farm uh, and our parents still live in our, in our family home there. So for us in terms of opening up our, our farm gate is not really fair to mum and dad to have people driving in in dribs and drabs all the time. So that's where we've been by appointment only um, for the last few years and that's why we've really sort of found that we can can justify and, and have a go at putting a shop um, further down, you know, closer to the road there um, to to get those people, you know, if they want to come in and just learn a little bit and read some things on the wall and taste a bit of truffle product that they can they can do that. And if they want to dive deeper, there's the opportunity to to come up and dig up their own truffles, watch the dogs work and, and have lunch up in, in the truffle trees. Um, so it's... Uh, yeah, it's pretty pretty exciting, but a lot of work has gone into sort of um, yeah navigating that um, and getting yeah getting that that planned and in terms of the challenges, just like getting going, isn't it? Yeah, like, like oh, how are we going to do it? Like we've got people wanting to come in, and we've had it for years, and it's just like oh, but how do we how do we actually yeah. get it happening? So it's taken I don't know. It's funny. It's taken a few years of just going. Oh, do we do it? Do we? Do we not do it? Do we do it? And do and you then, find that you take for granted some of the little bits and pieces that go into the truffle business that a visitor will come and ask you questions that you think, oh, I didn't even think that was interesting? Oh, mm. Yeah, it's it's really, yeah, it really gives you a great, I'm always just really grateful and always a, a tourist will remind me of a reason exactly why I need to be that. They'll be like, how lucky are you to work with your dogs every day? And it's like, yeah, I am. When people have to leave, <laughs> yeah, leave yeah. the home and go to the office, and like I just get to hang out. You got t- dirt all over your face. Your finger, <laughs> your fingers are frozen solid in the rain yeah. pulling drops out. Look, yeah, it sounds so, romantic, but yeah. I'm sure it's not a cape that everyone can it's do. It's pretty romantic some of the time, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, 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 no, but yeah. we yeah. Sometimes so speaking it's good to have of a romantic though, you can now go and have little picnics and platters in amongst the the trees. Yeah, so that's something we, uh, yeah, we offer a, a hunt experience where people can just come for the hunt, uh, learn about truffles, dig up a truffle themselves, um, taste some product and be on their way. Uh, and then we also have a hunt and lunch where people can, yeah, do the whole hunt experience and then um, sit up amongst the truffle trees there and enjoy some Tassie wines and, and fresh Tassie produce as truffle cheese and things that we throw together as well um, after they've harvested their truffles. So it's, um, yeah, I think a nice. They get to hang out with the chooks as well. They get to hang out with the chooks and the dogs, So um, (laughs) which is, yeah, which is really exciting. Your eyes light up every time you talk about your dogs. I feel Uh, as though you need to give them a mention just in case they're listening. Yeah, no, I'm very, uh, I guess I've got, yeah, two two truffle dogs, um, Doug and Poppy, and uh, they're, yeah, basically with me all the time. So when I'm harvesting, you know, eight hours a day, walking the rows just by myself as well, they're there um, doing doing the hard work with me and uh, and then they're there as well for the tourists to, to, you know, help give them a lick on the cheek when they're down on their hands and knees digging up a truffle and it's just, yeah, it's pretty special to share that with them and um, be able to have that really good relationship with them that a lot of people get really excited about to see, you know, the bond that you have with your animal when you work with them and rely on them every day of the week. So I'm interested because obviously from a business perspective, you know, a truffle has a, a rough idea of what a value of a truffle is to sell as a, as a whole product. But how do you place a value and how do you work out the, the cost mechanisms of, of running these really private, I'm assuming hands-on tours from a business perspective? Has that been an interesting learning experience for you? I think it has. And it's, it's sort of a we, we navigate it. We've, it's taken us a while to navigate that, hasn't it? Because there there are things that we we just really want to 
to have in the experience and to include and we just want to make it the the absolute best we can. Um, but it has, yeah, it has been a bit of a tricky one, hasn't it, to sort of navigate that. I think it naturally develops over time. It's one of those things you can sort of, it, yeah, it's it's always changing. Like the experiences are always changing as well and we try to keep it customised to, like I was talking to um, a helicopter uh, charter company the other day and they're like, we want to have, you know, really, really special experiences for and we want to land the chopper here and all that sort of stuff. It's like, woof, like really, really fancy stuff. And so I think we want to be able to cater to to as you know, to everyone's needs as they come in. So it's always um it's sort of something that's always changing and evolving and we're adapting all the time. But it is quite complex. I so like they said like truffle it's a bit like truffles. They you know, Anna gets down and grades truffles and there's different sorts that are worth different amounts to different chefs. You know, the same one truffle in um, Japan that's 10 grams is worth $3,000 a kilo, but in Europe it's worth $800 a kilo. So it's it's just really, yeah, it's always changing, yes. fluid. So it's hard to plan in for periods like COVID? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everyone's found that. That sounds like a really silly question. Yeah, yeah. But has it been a challenge for you knowing that you're coming into, you know, you've missed all your harvest? Well, you've been harvesting while... Everyone's been hibernating. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, we've been really, really lucky through COVID. Um, we've got a, you know, a pretty strong, fortunate to have a strong online presence. So when all the restaurants and everything shut down, we thought we we're in quite a bit of trouble in terms of like, oh, where, where's all this, you know, like this whole crop that we've produced, where's it going to go? And um, we're really lucky that home cooks, and I, I sort of alluded to it earlier that people, they didn't know what truffles were and to this day people they're still a bit mysterious people don't know what they are and there's a lot of people out there going oh you know should we try them on they're a bit expensive i don't know <laughs> but then everyone's bored during covid and they're like let's try it let's give it a crack so um we're lucky that that's sort of online um the home cook basically got us uh, got our crop away uh, for the duration of covid which was cool so things again uh, cha- business changed completely mm. and so moving forward you've got the shop happening what else are are your mum and dad looking at you going oh gosh what are they going to do next (laughs) um it's a bit like dad's pretty like he loves it he's he's almost um yeah he's he's exhausting to watch Rachel like I try to keep up with him he's like this old man and I'm trying to keep up with him like on the shovel all day and I'm just exhausted it's ridiculous yeah we've got to keep him busy he like but it's it's really great because we feel very supported um as well in the sense that even if I sort of go well maybe one day we could do this and we could have a venue here for this and um rather than that being the rains being like oh Anna let's just let's just get here first stop there's that Yes, let's let's start thinking about that. Let's. What if this goes really well? What if we could get there in the next yep, ten? He's ready years? for you to run. He's ready. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that's really nice, I think. Um, and it's great. You know, great dinner discussions to have that. Um, just rebounding off each other, all of us together, and we we very much, I think, rely on those meetings with mum and dad, where we all sit down as all four of us and and make those decisions. Because um, I guess Henry and I, being the next generation, we have fresh eyes in in what sort of you know what things are happening with social media and all that sort of thing in terms of how that can really generate a really strong business model and presence. Um, and then mum and dad giving their input as well, which is really, we really value um, as well to do things properly and to keep our integrity and and keep our brand as it's always been. And um, yeah, so we really value those those um, chats. I'm assuming he would never have envisaged 15 years ago there being helicopters landing in the paddock to take people on picnics. So mm. where do you see agritourism 
going into the future, oh. the next 15 years. Yeah, uh, that's it, exciting. It really, um, yeah. I, I think uh, especially, I mean, COVID's probably going to accelerate, for me, in my mind, accelerate what's already happening, like more people, um, you know, wanting to come experience the outdoors and nature and that, that sense of connection you get with Tasmania that I don't think you get anywhere else. I might be a bit biased in saying that, but um, I think that's only going to intensify as, as the years go on. And as well, there's been a lot of um, interest from people just recently even on the mainland that have had honeymoons booked internationally that have um, had to change their plans and they're coming to Tassie. So I've had a few people that have um, been in correspondence with me saying, honeymoon overseas is out of the way. We're coming to Tassie. Can we come and see you guys? And I think that um, Tassie is going to be for, for mainlanders that real overseas draw overseas thing, but also sort of the, the Europe of Australia and somewhere that a lot of families go. I've always meant to go there, but we've never got there. And so I think now is the opportunity for them to come here and with a world that's so busy and kids thinking that milk comes from the carton, like what a great way to get, get the family down to Tassie and get them amongst how food is produced and actually meeting the farmers and seeing where it comes from. And do you find that a lot of young business operators like yourself in the within the industry are all working together to capitalise and benefit on that? I think we're in a very lucky industry where there's a lot of support. Like I think overall in terms of everyone wanting to really support other local producers and we certainly try and showcase other local small business producers when we do our tours with the the food choices and things that we make with that so and local vineyards and things like and uh, that's very much reciprocated we we get a lot of support from others as well so I think that's a really nice it's a really nice community to be a part of with we've all got the same sort of goal in mind that we just really want to share Tassie for all that it is and show how you know production of of fresh fresh produce happens over here and yeah it's a would you agree? Yeah, I agree. I think Nick, I just heard Nick Haddo from Bruny Island Cheese talking about some of the challenges that we've got coming up. And one of them was, you know, having enough producers here. So when people like Tassie's got this immense reputation for just world-class produce and clean air, and it's all warranted, absolutely. But, you know, Nick was saying, oh, we need more producers. We need more people. So when people come here, it's it really is, you know, teeming with lots of unique little producers. So when it comes to answer, I guess your question is like when it comes to working together with businesses, I know in our area it's, um, you know, promoting, cross-promoting each other as much as we can, working together as much as we can, it's only going to help each other. So with the benefit of second-generation knowledge, what would you encourage other people to do to start a, an agritourism business now? Oh, jeez. Oh, I'm uh, not qualified to answer that question. We just best, fell into it. I uh, think <laughs> it just, just put the feelers out. I think that's the best thing, you know, if there is a, a family farm and you think, you know, there could there could be something here, put the feelers out. Just get, you know, start and just you don't have to fork out a huge amount of money to start trying to see if people are interested to come in the gate and have a look at what you do because often for farmers as well it's very much an everyday and it's something that especially second generation you take it for granted because you've just been around it every day so you don't actually think you're really sitting on anything overly special or exciting and it's not until you get that outsider's perspective where they come a in. A non-Tassie perspective uh, yeah, and, and you realise how special it is. Wow, yeah. this is your this is your everyday and this is how that happens and how did you learn that, that you actually start to sort of realise what a what a great thing you're sitting on and that there is a lot of, you know, a lot of interest and a lot of people would be fascinated to come and explore 
you know, what your everyday is and, and do it with you. And great to know that there is more capacity then in the market because a lot of people would have said, oh, there's too many. No, too opposite, many. opposite. <laughs> yeah. The more will create more, I think, you know. It's it's getting known to be that hub of amazing, you know, producers. It's like I think people talk to me about, oh, what's who's your competition? Is it, you know, competitive with the truffles? And it's like. Well, n- no, because there's that much demand for Tasmanian truffles and every other Tasmanian thing. It's like the more the better and the more interest that'll create, you know. it's um, People come to our area in Deloraine, oh, we want them to be able to go, let's spend three days here, not half a day, you know. Yeah. Oh, well, look, I could chat about truffles to you guys for, for ages, but we look forward to seeing your shop front opening by the end of 2020. Mm, yeah, hopefully. And you'll be manning it, both of you, in between yeah. all the other jobs you've got. <laughs> Early to. December, we're hoping to, uh, yeah, start of our summer truffle season, we'll be uh, opening up things down there. So, um, yeah, we'll be we'll be down there, won't we'll we? physically there. I don't know. Emot- emotionally might be <laughs> a bit vacant. No I don't know. <laughs> but I think that the most important question, Anna, is do you still eat a whole truffle on your toast for breakfast? Oh, look. I uh, yeah, I've learnt to rein it in a little. A no, little you bit haven't. From she tr- does. She's <laughs> gross. She <just> Champagne taste. <laughs> yeah, look, it's it all the profits. Dad knew he was in trouble when I was. Yeah, it was three when I first ate truffle, and he was yeah not expecting the reaction that he got from me. So um, yeah, I still very very much obsessed with them and get very excited to eat them with mm. anything whenever I can. So it's Fantastic. a problem. Look, lovely to to speak with you both. Thank you for today, and we look forward to seeing what your journey takes you in the future. Thanks, Thanks, Rachel. Rachel. We'll look forward to having you at the farm. I look forward to coming out in my Blunstons. <laughs> that was Anna and Henry Terry from Tasmanian Truffles joining us for this episode of Talking Tourism. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I've enjoyed chatting to them. And you can follow all of the information that comes out through the Tourism Industry Council Tasmania's podcasts through Talking Tourism wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for joining us. I'm Rachel Williams. Bye for now. You've been listening to Talking Tourism, brought to you by Tourism Industry Council Tasmania. For show notes, other materials and episodes, head to tict.com.au. Be sure to come back every fortnight for a new instalment of Talking Tourism. Talking Tourism.